0: children are dismissed to children's church can head out now I'd like to invite Don up pastor Don Fraze, that's how it's pronounced by the way so Don uh, this is his first Sunday he's speaking here he'll be with us probably for the next year year and a half depending how we behave <laughs> <laughs> or how I behave yeah <laughs> right so we're just grateful to have him here to start his ministry with us and uh, I wanna pray for you before you start, and uh, Don had said that he'll be probably sharing some of his story over the next couple of weeks so that we can uh, get to know him a little bit better. So uh, be ready for that, and so Don, I'll pray for you if I can. Okay, yeah, thanks. Father God, we thank you for Don, thank you for bringing him to us. And we pray, Lord, that you'll uh, bless him, encourage him, give him wisdom and discernment that he needs to minister among us. We pray his ministry will be a blessing, not only to us, but also to him, we pray that you'll uh, take care of his wife as well as she kind of holds down things at home there while Don's away. And we pray for safety on the road, traveling back and forth from here to Saskatoon those uh, times when he's off. So Lord, we just uh, pray a, a great blessing for him. We pray that we as a congregation will, will have sensitive, uh, humble hearts, ready to hear what he uh, has to say, ready to respond to his leadership, and uh, we just give you thanks for all that you are going to do in our midst through, through Don. Amen. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Well, thank you so much, Bob. i just going to grab a stand over here. I'm not as skilled as Darren. I still need some notes and uh, a place to put some things. Well, greetings. Oh, let's make sure that's, that's going to work. Well, greetings, Bridgeway Community Church. It's been a pleasure to be here for this last week and to meet many of you. And thank you for your warm welcome and your generos- generosity to me. And I especially want to uh, thank Tim and Patricia, who have uh, graciously allowed me to live in the home on their property. So I am, uh, I am comfortable, and I want to thank all of you in the church. I know many of you donated um, furniture and pots and pans and things to fill the, the house that I'm in. And even there's food in there. I've been really well taken care of. So thank you, Bridgeway Church, for... Your generosity to me, and I look forward to uh, to meeting all of you and seeing what the Lord has for us in this coming year. Now, as Bob said, um, I will uh, next week um, for you to get to know me, share a little bit of my story, and also share a little bit with you about so what's a transitional pastor anyway? I know for some of you that just sounds weird and confusing. I hope I can help you out with that, but I'm going to save that for next week because this is Easter Sunday. And it's such a privilege to be worshiping with you on this Resurrection Day, and I just want to bring a message of Easter hope today. And uh, wow, we've already been blessed so much. Thank you, worship team, that last song. I thought some of you might get a little excited there, but I can say it's okay, we're a reserved bunch, but wow, powerful words. I was getting singing that together with you, and, uh, and Joyce, beautiful children's story. Um, Bob, thank you for introducing. You've, you've heard the Easter story really well this morning already and I pray that we can be encouraged by this incredible message. Now, to help me out, and uh, to do a little favor for me, and you've kind of done it already this morning, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna make you do it again, but it's the Easter tradition in many churches that I grew up with, where the leader up front will say, he is risen, and the congregation will respond with, he is risen indeed, right? Now, I, I, I found out already that, you know, you're a reserved people, I don't think there's much like yelling and shouting that happens around here, But if you can just humor me, this is Resurrection Day, right? Like this is the highlight of the church calendar. If there's any day where even the most conservative Christians can get excited that we follow a risen Savior, that Jesus is alive, that this is the hope of the gospel, it's today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to do it three times. I'm going to say he is risen. You're going to say he is risen indeed. And then I'm going to say it again, and you're going to do it a little louder. And then I'm going to say it again, and we're going to almost be shouting by the end. Now, can we handle this? Can the kids in kids' church, wherever they are, hear us? That the adults are excited, too, that he is risen indeed. So are you ready? Help me out with this. So you can start quiet, and we'll build it. Remember, three times. So, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. See, you can do it at a Rough Riders game I think Jesus likes it when we get excited about the core of our gospel. So as we talk about resurrection today, and again, the story's been been told well already this morning. But where I want to go today is in the book of John, and I understand that we've been in a series through the book of John, so we're going to continue that for the next while. But I'm now going to jump ahead from where Darren left off last week to the very end of the book, because, of course, that's where you find the resurrection story. So, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be using NIV, and uh, it'll be we'll be looking at uh, most of the chapter of John chapter twenty. Now, in looking at this very particular version of the resurrection story, today I want to talk about hope after doubt. Now, why would I talk about doubt on Easter Sunday? Well, if you look at the text, the followers of Jesus, even his closest followers, Their first reaction to his resurrection was actually doubt. And so I think doubt is a very, very important topic for us to talk about. Now let me ask you, what's your relationship with doubt? Have you struggled with or been taught that doubt's a bad thing? Doubt's a dangerous thing. Good Christians don't doubt. If people knew that I had doubts or doubted, they would probably judge me. In fact, God would probably be upset at me for for admitting that I had doubts. What's your relationship with doubt? What I believe and want to show you from the scriptures today is that Jesus responded to his most beloved disciples when they were in deep doubt in a way that might surprise us. I want to suggest today that doubt has purpose and that doubt can be a good part of the process of our journey. I also want to suggest to you today, I believe there will be many in this congregation today, that if you were open and honest, and you felt the freedom to be, that there would be many, many doubts deep inside of you. For some of you, it has come from painful situations in your life. And for some of you, it's come from deep disappointments in people or institutions like the church around you. And you have many, many doubts, and you're trying to hang in there, and you're wondering, can I bring these to Jesus? How is your, your relationship with doubt? Now, before we just dive right into the scriptures, um, I want to show you... Um, some fun quotes I found this week that, uh, that challenged me in this whole area of doubt. So, so they'll be on the screen here, here for you. The first one is, Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I'm not going to comment on these quotes. You can just, hmm. All right. Second one. If Christ spent an anguished night in prayer... If he burst out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then surely we are also permitted to doubt. But we must move on. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Interesting where this quote comes from as well. And then the last one. Expressing or even entertaining doubt sometimes takes so much courage that we may say it takes real faith to doubt. So please pray with me as we uh, enter into this topic and text today. So Holy Spirit of God, we acknowledge your presence here as we gather in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we worship you as we have shouted out and we have sung out and our hearts have rung with praise because we serve a risen saviour. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that um, you will open up your word to us today. I pray, Spirit of God, that um, you will touch our hearts and spirits today. I pray, Spirit of God, that you will take away the useless words of dawn and that the good words that come from your spirit and through your word will impact us today. So I just pray that blessing and that covering and that protection over this congregation. And I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we, uh, as we jump into the story, let's uh, go to John chapter 20. And I have to confess my, a little bit of my vanity up here today. This is the first time that I have preached with glasses on. So, uh, Clark and Amy, who were introduced as being engaged, that were used to seeing me at Forest Grove. Congratulations, by the way, guys, that so excited for you. Anyway, they're seeing me up here with glasses on, going, Don's looking pretty pretty good and stately up here. You know, The authority's better with glasses, I hope. Anyway, I'm in my vanity, even though my eyesight's been going for a while. I usually have a really big font to help me, so uh, I may struggle a bit, but I hope you'll bear with me as I try to read and see my notes today. So anyway, let's begin reading the, uh, the first verses of John chapter 20. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said... one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. She turned, to, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic... Oh. <laughs> sorry, lost a spot. He said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Thinking he was the gardener... Sorry, backing up verse. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Key verse 16... And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, as you consider this account, I don't know if you've thought about this much before, but have you noticed how much running is going on? There's just like a lot of running going on. Now, it seems like Mary shows up at the tomb very, very early in the morning. Perhaps she's not in a rush yet, but as soon as she sees this unexplainable event that has happened, she just right away goes running. And of course, when she gets to the disciples... Got to get this in the right place. When she gets to the disciples, then they come running. And it's, and it's so funny in this book how, how uh, the author that we're guessing of the book, John, wants to let everyone know that he won the foot race with Peter. But uh, he wins the race to the tomb. And then it's kind of perplexing that even though they get there and they see all the evidence, um, then they leave again. And then it seems like Mary is just there awkwardly, after all that running, weeping, and just completely perplexed with what's going on here. So who is this Mary Magdalene? Now unfortunately, history has not been kind to Mary Magdalene. In fact, I wanna share this quote to you from actually a secular historian, and I find it very interesting what this historian says. He says, Mary appears to have been a disciple of Jesus. What's important is that Jesus had both male and female disciples in his ministry, which was not necessarily common at the time. The prostitute and wife theories may have been around for centuries, but they are legends and traditions that grew up long after the fact. Neither of them is rooted in the Bible itself. Now, isn't it interesting that a secular historian is telling us to go to the Bible for our facts? But sadly, the reality is is that History and church history hasn't been great to Mary Magdalene. In fact, it was actually in the year 600, as I read, and it was a Pope Gregory who started the the whole idea that Mary was the sinful woman of Luke 7 or the adulteress of Luke 8. He made those connections, and then the Western Roman Church, for the rest of that historical time, tried to paint Mary Magdalene in this very negative sinful woman way. What's fascinating, though, is that the Eastern Church, which broke away from the Western Church way, way back, but the Eastern Church actually regarded Mary as a female disciple, and they call her the apostle to the apostles. Isn't that interesting? Now, for us, let's listen to the story, the historian, though, and go back to the scriptures. So what do we really know about this Mary Magdalene? Well, we find in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, you'll find a brief description of who she is and what her role was in Jesus' ministry. Her name is Mary Magdalene, which simply means that she was from a town or city in Galilee called Magdala. Um, We also read there that uh, Mary Magdalene was healed by Jesus of seven demons. We also um, see in that text that Mary and a group of other women seemed to be very intricately involved in Jesus's ministry just like the disciples and again different traditions would say that they were like disciples it's just that in that time with the patriarchal society that they were in they couldn't hold that title and yet it says in there that these women including Mary um, actually served and provided for Jesus in his ministry and it's from this that some historians believe that Mary may have been one of financial means, that she was able to financially, as well as by serving, support Jesus and his ministry. So So that's what we know from the scriptures. We, as we come to the story today though, you gotta remember that Mary was the one that saw Jesus die. When all of the other disciples had deserted Jesus when he was on the cross, Mary and some of the other women were there to the bitter end. They saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus go into the tomb, and now here's Mary first to the tomb. And some of the other gospels say that there was other women that were, that were first to the tomb as well. Now before we're too hard on Mary and say, okay, Mary, you were so close to Jesus, you should have seen all the evidence and known what was going on. Why was Mary so broken and weeping and not reading into any of the signs that she saw in front of her? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Mary was absolutely grief-stricken. In fact, you could say that Mary was in a state of trauma. And those of you that have experienced the loss of someone close, you know what that trauma and that grief is all about. And that's exactly where Mary was. Mary was very close and very devoted to Jesus. Jesus saved her. Jesus rescued her from demonic oppression. And then Jesus gave her an incredible role and purpose on his ministry team. It gave her identity, it gave her purpose, it gave her mission. She would have been extremely devoted and close to Jesus. And now this one that she had ultimate hope in was dead. And the movement seemed to be over. And her grief and trauma was severe. You see, when we're in that state, and I would say, even when we're not in that state, just being typically human, we tend to see what we expect to see. You see, Mary, it hadn't even crossed Mary's mind that a resurrection had happened. She had seen Jesus die and go into a tomb. Reason and logic said wouldn't he, she, it, she wouldn't have even expected it. So that's why when Jesus spoke to her, her and mind and her traumatized mind Well, it's it's obviously the gardener. Where have you put him? The only logical, reasonable explanation is Jesus' body has been moved, stolen, taken away. What's going on? Often we, like Mary, we see what we expect to see based on our own reason and logic and life experience, and sometimes we need some spiritual eye-opening to see beyond So, I asked earlier, what's your relationship with doubt? As I look across this room, I'm sure that there are many of you here today that in one way or the other are struggling with doubt. Perhaps for some of you, like Mary, your doubt comes from a very painful thing you've been through. And because you've been through a very painful situation, perhaps, like Mary, it's been loss of someone close. Perhaps that pain has come from deep disappointment in leaders or authority figures or parents or friends or other people who have let you down. And because of that pain, there's deep doubt in you. You know, maybe for some of you, because of what you've seen in our culture, because of what you've seen in the church, because of what what you've seen with church leaders or other people in the church, you've just grown really cynical. It's like this faith And this this thing called Christianity that you put so much hope and invested so much your life in, there seems to be so many cracks and so many things that don't make sense and so much hypocrisy that you're just riddled with doubt. And you're wondering, what do I do with this? I think I love Jesus still. I think I believe the Bible still. But why is the church so messed up? Why are so many people messed up? Why is our culture so messed up? What's going on? Probably many of you can relate to those feelings of doubt. Now, as you think about that and process that, let's now go back to how Jesus responded to Mary. You know, first it was the angels actually who asked Mary the rhetorical question, Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And then Jesus himself, a little bit later, asks Mary, Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? In one sense, it was a rhetorical question, but I believe that this was Jesus' response of grace and love to this woman he loved. This woman he loved deeply, that and he wanted to encourage her and begin her in the process of opening up her spiritual eyes. Because that was his heart for her, to meet her doubt with grace, love, and mercy. And then walk her to a transformation of spiritual eyes being opened to bring healing and truth into her life. That's what Jesus did. When did Mary recognize Jesus? Not when she saw him, but when she heard his voice, right? Voice recognition. Let me ask you this if you're a follower of Jesus, do you believe Jesus knows your name? Do you believe Jesus speaks to you? Jesus said, "My sheep know my voice. as his followers it's his idea. It's his idea and heart to speak your name and for you to learn to hear his voice. And I would suggest to you that it's in those moments of, of hearing Jesus speak our name and of knowing that love and grace and then of seeking to hear his spirit, his heart, his voice in our lives, that he can then move us in our deepest doubt to where he can begin to breathe hope. He actually wants us and invites us to bring our deepest, deepest hurts and doubts to him because we're his children and he loves us deeply and that's how he responds to us. So not only did Jesus reveal himself to her, speak to her, love her. But then Jesus commissioned her. Isn't that interesting? Right in this broken time when she's just beginning to wake up spiritually to what's going on here, and right away Jesus commissions her and says, I'm sending you now, you as the first witness to my resurrection. You're the one that gets to go and tell those disciples that are hiding out in fear, you're going to go and be the first missionary, or first apostle, the first commissioned one that's going to go. Isn't that interesting? I found this quote from uh, Anne Graham Lotz, who is the daughter of Billy Graham. Consider what she says. The very first person to be commissioned was a woman, and she was commissioned to go to men to share her testimony, and then also give his word. I know there are some people who will draw a line and say, I can't give a testimony, um, that I can give a testimony, but I can't share the scripture. But Jesus didn't make that distinction. He gave Mary Magdalene both commissions to share her testimony and to give out his word. just want to say to the women in the room, the women were the first at the tomb. And I think if there's, if there's any time, and, and in all of Jesus' ministry, he treated women so differently than the culture told him to because he treated them as the way God always intended and honored them and called them to ministry and to be full participants in, in the faith and in the movement. And I just find it so incredible that the women were the first to the tomb and to declare the risen Savior. And I just think we, we rejoice in that and, and I hope that all of you women, no matter what you've been told in your life, can be encouraged by how significant you are to the Jesus who loves you. Don't think any other way. So, what about these men hiding in the room? That's the next part of the story. So let's go, let's go back to uh, John chapter 20. Pick it up at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the door, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So how did Jesus respond to doubting Thomas and the other disciples? Now, remember the scene. What are the disciples doing? They're hiding out, right? And what have they been doing recently? Oh, just denying Jesus, deserting him. Most of them weren't anywhere near the cross scene. Like, it would look to me like these guys seem to be cowards, fearful, and deserters and deniers. So if this is what was going on, how do you think Jesus is going to respond to them? You doubting cowards. Jesus is going to appear to them and be ready to condemn them and be ready to to be angry. And even if not that, he's going to at least be a little bit annoyed. And even if he's not annoyed, he's probably going to be really disappointed in them because that's how we all think God is. He's always disappointed in us, right? Right? How did Jesus come into the room of the hiding, afraid, discouraged, devastated disciples? He came in, and not only once, but twice, simply said, peace, peace be with you. Isn't that amazing? Do you believe that's the heart of your Jesus? I would suggest to you that most of us as followers of Jesus think that if Jesus were to come into our presence, he would be disappointed in us. He would tell us where we're, where we're doing everything wrong, would tell us how we need to serve more, be better, and we would be fearful because we would think it would be a scolding. Is that your Jesus? Can I declare to you from God's word that that is not your Jesus? Can I declare to you from God's word that I think one of Satan's biggest lies to hold us back is for us to believe that lie all the time that God is disappointed in us, that we're never enough, we're never doing enough, we're never serving enough, we're never good enough, and we believe that to such a core that we find it so difficult to live in any kind of joy and peace in our Christian life. Can I declare to you that Jesus wants to come to you no matter how broken you are, no matter how deep your doubts are. And he's not going to come to you with disappointment and anger and a rebuke and a shaking finger, but he's going to come to you with open arms and say, my daughter, my son, peace be with you. Is that your Jesus? That's our Jesus. That's how he responded to them. So Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. He blessed them. And then, like Mary, he commissioned them. He was saying, "You know what? The movement isn't over. In fact, now I'm going to recommission you again to go with this message of hope to the world that I'm alive and that I bring salvation to all." He commissioned them, and then, almost like another Pentecost, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Isn't incredible what happens there? So after. Peter and the other disciples, we we read that Thomas wasn't there. But a week later, Jesus appears again to the disciples, well, Thomas is there. Now, this is just my speculation, but I find it interesting that Jesus left it for a week. And my speculation would be that Jesus wanted Thomas to stew in his doubt for a while. You see, I think sometimes we underestimate that there's value and that the Holy Spirit actually works in our seasons of doubt because the process of working through those doubts is meaningful and necessary. And so a week later, after Thomas has had time to stew, and probably many of the other disciples too, we just don't read that they were doubting, Thomas gets picked on, but all kinds of doubts. But here again, what happens? Now you would think, surely Thomas... I mean, the guy's pretty obstinate, isn't he? It's like, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. Doesn't that deserve a rebuke from Jesus? But what does Jesus do? Peace be with you. And then, he doesn't dishonor his doubt. He actually honors his doubt and said, okay, Thomas, go ahead, touch. You need evidence, proof. Touch, go ahead and touch. And he let him. He honored his doubt and gave him the evidence and gave him that blessing of peace. That's our Jesus. That's the reason we get excited about a resurrected Jesus that wants to give us hope. Now as we respond to this today, I guess I just want to encourage you to relate to one of these characters in our, in our story. I believe that this morning there are some of you here that are very much like Mary. You've gone through some real painful times. Maybe you've lost someone close, or maybe just the circumstances you've been in has created so much disappointment that that you could describe that life feels like trauma at times. And that out of that pain that you've gone through, you have deep doubts. Can I encourage you today that Jesus says peace to you and that he invites you to come to him in your brokenness? Can I encourage you today? Don't be afraid to come to Jesus with that brokenness. Come to him. He wants to accept you, help you work through that process, and hopefully rebirth hope in you. That's his heart for you. Maybe some of you are a little bit more of the Thomas character or some of the other disciples. And perhaps this whole Christian story for you in some ways has just been cracking or maybe even falling down around you. All the things you grew up believing, you're struggling now with, am I sure they can be true? There's so many reasons to doubt. There's so much hypocrisy in the church at time. There's so many things that have been just taught wrong and led wrong and... And you're just in, in a place of deep cynicism. In fact, most of the time you can't say anything because you're just fearing the people around you are probably going to judge you and won't, won't understand that you could even have those doubts. Can I encourage you today that Jesus is okay with them? That he invites you to bring those doubts to him? That Jesus grieves with you how so much is done in the name of Christianity that breaks his heart? that has nothing to do with what Jesus taught or led, and yet that's what Christianity gets cast with. He grieves with you in that too. So if you're feeling that deep cynicism of doubt, you don't stand condemned, I invite you to come to Jesus. He wants to say peace to you, and he wants to invite you into a healing process. It might take a lot longer than a week like Thomas, and that's okay too. But if you're willing to take that journey, Jesus invites you on that journey with him. So, again, I don't know where you're at as individuals, and I'm only barely learning what you're going through as a church, but I know you've had some challenging times that can certainly produce doubt and cynicism and pain in us. And that's hard. And yet, can I say again, for the hundredth time, you're not condemned you can bring that to Jesus. He's the healer. He's the peace giver. He's the hope giver. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we worship you. In fact, Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you because we're we're so aware of our own sin. We're so aware of our own mistakes and shortcomings and And Lord, we we live there so often. And yet, Lord, Jesus, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you will reveal to your children today how much you love them, how much you believe in them. And I pray, Jesus, that in this moment that every heart will hear you say, peace be with you. Lord, I, I pray for the Marys today those who are struggling with doubt because of pain and sorrow and disappointment. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for healing and that you would give each of them the courage to seek you out in this season. Lord, I pray for the Thomases in the room, those who are deeply struggling with cynicism and doubt, perhaps even wondering if they believe anymore, if it's even true anymore, Lord, I pray that you will meet them in that place of doubt and cynicism and speak peace and hope into their spirit. And Lord, I pray that you will take them on a journey of reviving their hope within them. So Lord Jesus, we pray these things together in your name and by your power, because on this day especially, we believe in your resurrection power. So Lord, as we close with singing, As we sing up from the grave, he arose. Lord, may we just embrace that power and may you fill us all with your hope. And so I pray this all in the name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Amen.